Look, Bumble knows you're exhausted by dating. All the, must not take yourself too seriously, and 6-1 since that matters, and what do I even say other than, hey? <sighs> well, that's why they're introducing an all-new Bumble, with exciting features to make compatibility easier, starting the chat better, and dating safer. They've changed, so you don't have to. Download the new Bumble now. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Are we supposed to get married? I'm gonna just swipe left. I just want somebody to share my life. Conflict can be good. Fights can lead to growth and a stronger bond. You can keep waiting for the fairy tale, or you can get on board with the new rules of relationships. If you read my advice in the LA Times, then you know. This ain't your mama's love advice. This is Dates and Mates with Damona Hoffman. Hello, lovers. Welcome to another delightful episode of Dates and Mates. You know, we have all had those relationships. You know what I'm talking about. The ones that make you wonder why you keep finding yourself dealing with the same drama again and again. The ones that make you wonder if relationships really are supposed to be this difficult. The ones that make you say, it's not me, it's you. (laughs) If you're ready to break the cycle of bad relationships, psychologist John Kim, who you may know as the Angry Therapist, and his partner, Vanessa Bennett, are here to talk about their forthcoming book, It's Not Me, It's You. And we are diving deep into breaking bad relationship cycles today. Plus, Vanessa will share her special sauce for manifesting the relationship you want. But first and foremost, we've got a dish. Our big headline today is, Has Attachment Theory Gone Too Far? Then later, in Dear Demona, I'll tackle the burning question. We had a great date, but he has one of my deal breakers. How do I know if I'm being judgmental or if my concern is valid? Let's dish. He's dating dish. Refinery29 asks, has attachment theory gone too far? Demona Hoffman responds, I would say yes. Let me tell you about this article that we came across that really did a deep dive into where we are in attachment theory. And let let me get you up to speed for those of you who are like, huh, what, Demona, what's attachment theory? Okay, so attachment theory was actually developed in 1958 by a British psychologist named John Bowlby. He was interested in how a child's relationship with their mother shapes their subsequent approach to the world. So the behavior of mothers as a primary caregiver was central to his hypothesis. If a mother was what he called affectionless, I'm using air quotes right now, and not able to fulfill the feminine maternal ideals of being present and emotionally supportive, her child would be damaged and experience long-term cognitive, social, and emotional difficulties. Okay, so that's the foundation of attachment theory. This new wave of attachment theory became popularized in 2010 with a book called Attached, Are You Anxious, Avoidant, or Secure? How the Science of Adult Attachment Can Help You Find and Keep Love. It was written by Dr. Amir Levine and Rachel Heller. And I've actually studied with Dr. Levine on this concept of attachment theory. And in spite of all that, I came to the conclusion a while ago 
that I think it's a gross oversimplification. Not at all knocking the work of the psychologists who use this theory, because I think it's an excellent tool, but it is not the whole picture. And I was really glad to read this article and see that the author was coming to the same conclusion as well, not because of the popularity of the book. By the way, Attached has been on the bestseller list basically consistently for the last 10 years. There was a resurgence in popularity in the last year because the New York Times covered the book again. And yet a lot of people now like have read the book once and (laughs) are doing, you know, TikToks and Instagram posts all about attachment theory, which is okay, which is totally okay. But what's happening is that we're really quick to label folks. And I think this is really to our own detriment. So we see a behavior that we don't like and we go, oh, he's anxious. He's Uh, you know, he's clingy. And so I have to throw the baby out with a bathwater or this person's not calling me back. So they're just avoidant or we internalize it. Oh, I read this post and check, 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 check. These are all things I relate to. And therefore I'm now labeled as avoidant. And that gives me an understanding of why I act this way in relationships and a really a reason to continue acting this way because I'm just avoidant. And that's not it at all. Um, I'll give you kind of an overview of the different attachment styles for those who aren't familiar. So there's secure attachment. Those are people that feel comfortable with intimacy and are usually warm and loving, according to these principles. Anxious attachment. These people crave intimacy and are preoccupied with their relationships and tend to worry about their partner's ability to love them back. So as I said a moment ago, like kind of clingy. Those are our avoidant attachment, which is how I do tend to lean or did, I guess, before I met my husband. Those equate intimacy with a loss of independence and constantly try to minimize closeness. And then there's all these offshoots now. There's like anxious, preoccupied, avoidant, dismissive, disorganized, fearful, avoidant. Whew, it's a lot. And here's what I don't want you to do. I don't want you to like self-diagnose. I, In fact, I'm having this kind of debate with my editors of my book right now because I, I know that our nature is to lean into the self-diagnosis, but I really don't want to do that to people because I believe that all of these, all of this information, these are just tools. These are tools to inform you so that you can use this information to change what you don't want in your life and let it lead you to a more fulfilling life and better outcomes or the outcomes that you want, which may be a satisfying, drama-free, long-term relationship. So as this article states, and as I as I also feel and have stated in my programs and on the show before, we have to really be careful about throwing diagnoses around there's a, a psychotherapist that, that they quote in this article who said, if we're using Instagram posts alone to label or diagnose our partners, that's a slippery path to losing some empathy. And I am really focusing on empathy right now. We all need more empathy. And I feel that we are approaching a communication crisis. And the danger in, in searching for a label for yourself or for the people that you are dating is that that label can actually excuse behavior that needs to change and it can prevent you from going deeper, like seeing these conflicts as an opportunity to lean in 
to learn more and to to choose differently. That's really all that all of this is <laughs> like the, the game of life that we are living, the relationships that we choose to engage with. They are all opportunities for us to understand better, to do better, to live better. And there's there's just so many problems when you look at the foundation of attachment theory. First, we just have to address the elephant in the room of like placing, I guess, blame on mothers who are, as John Bowlby said, affectionless. And there are so many figures in your life that shape who you are. And it doesn't mean if you had a, quote, affectionless mother that you are never capable of loving that you are never capable of being loved or that you're constantly going to be seeking out affection because of your affectionless mother. First of all, it puts way too much emphasis on the mother and not on the other attachment figures in your life. And secondly, it looks at your imprinting, your childhood experiences as unchangeable, that that imprints on you and that's then who you are. And we've seen so many times that that's not true. That's not true. Every experience that you have changes you, informs you, evolves you. And I think it's really time that we, st we just pump the brakes a little bit on the attachment theory, on the labeling. It's so much deeper than that. It's so much more complex. And I really choose to see that there's so much more opportunity in using these tools, using attachment theory, Attach is a fantastic book, by the way, and Dr. Amir Levine it was a wonderful person to study with. It's all excellent information, but, you know, power <laughs> being used in the wrong way, in the wrong hands, can be really detrimental. So I just encourage you to use it mindfully, use it as a data point, and still stay curious, stay empathetic, and stay curious about yourself and about the people that you're dating. And everyone can move to a place of being securely attached with the right person, with the right tools, with the right circumstances, with the right kind of knowledge, and uh, designing our own paths to move forward. When we come back, John Kim, a.k.a. The Angry Therapist, and his partner Vanessa Bennett will join me to talk about breaking relationship cycles and manifesting the relationship you want. Welcome back. I'm here with John Kim, who you might know as the Angry Therapist, and Vanessa Bennett. They are licensed therapists, authors, and podcast hosts. You may have heard John on this podcast before talking about his best-selling book, I Used to Be a Miserable F. And he's actually writing a children's book similarly named I Used to Be a Miserable Duck. So you can figure out what that word is. Since then, he's also written the best-selling book, Single on Purpose, and he dishes out advice on his podcast and social media under the title, The Angry Therapist. Vanessa is a licensed holistic psychotherapist, codependency expert, and co-host of the podcast, Cheaper Than Therapy. You can read all about their story in their new relationship book, It's Not Me, It's You, which is available for pre-order now. But first, you can hear the highlights of all of their baggage and imperfections and relationship challenges right now, right here on Dates and Mates. Please give big smooches to John Kim and Vanessa Bennett. Thank you for having us. Welcome to the show. Oh, I'm so glad to have you here. John, you were on the show 
a long time ago. Yeah. When was that? Uh, in the before times, certainly. <laughs> before, I think before my baby, before the... Um, before COVID. BC. Before before the man one. <laughs> the many before times. And Vanessa, I'm really excited to have you here. And I've been watching your great content on Instagram and all the wonderful things that you two are doing. And now you have a new book coming out this fall and a book club supporting the book and all kinds of goodies. So let's talk about that because there's so much in this fantastic book that I think would be really helpful for an audience, whether they are are single and trying to move into a successful relationship or already coupled and realizing it's not me, it's you, Break the Blame Cycle, Relationship Better, uh, which is the title of the book. So it's a little bit of a of a memoir, I would say. It's a little bit of memoir, a little bit of like storytelling about your clients and and a lot of like helpful exercises. So let's just begin with your own stories. <laughs> yeah. Because I, I, I love that you're both therapists and you come to this from a perspective of not having the perfect relationship or the perfect relationship experiences, but you both came into this relationship together from a place of wanting to grow and learn. Yeah. Yeah, and it wasn't uh, what many assume. Our relationship in the beginning uh, was kind of bumpy. Uh, it started with a friend that I worked out with coming up to me, asking me if I liked white girls. And I said, uh, dude, it's... True story. <laughs> it's 2021, uh, or well, no, it's still... I was like, wait a second, we uh, didn't just meet last year. <laughs> yeah. Um, but yeah, yeah, I, I like all all types of women. And then he said, "Well, do you, uh, I have a therapist for you?" And I was like, "I don't just date therapists." Anyway, it started with that, and then cut to before that, he was hiking with Vanessa, and you could tell them. Yeah, I mean, the the funny part of the story that I usually tell is that I had been following John for a while, but not really engaging. I was like, a friend had recommended him to me, whatever. And then randomly one day, I saw something he posted, and I was like, "Huh." And for whatever reason, I kind of had a, a peaked interest and I kind of did a little internet stalking and told my friend at the time, I was like, um, I'm going to date this guy. And she was like, okay. Like <laughs> at the time, I don't know, he had like, let's say 80,000 followers. I was like, no, I'm, I'm going to date this guy. Like we have a mutual friend and we actually coincidentally already have something on the books to hang out. And so I had this plan to have him hook us up. So I went to the, the, the friend date and randomly out of nowhere, the friend goes, I have this friend that I feel like you'd really get along with. And I was like, oh, <laughs> do tell. And so it kind of felt a little kismet at that point. But but yeah, to John's point, the beginning of it wasn't wasn't easy. It wasn't like this, you know, we locked eyes across a bar and knew instantly or anything like that. It was it was a struggle in the beginning. Yeah, Demona, I was trying to be single on purpose. <laughs> you uh, wrote the book on it. You literally wrote the book. Yeah, I thought, okay, I wanted my next one to be the one, you know, and so I wasn't done trying to make up for everything that I didn't do in my 20s because I was in a relationship. So I wanted to have, like, I never had a one night stand. I never did drugs with someone. I never um, woke up with someone I didn't like. Like, I wanted to have all those crazy stories, experiences. And uh, of course, the universe uh, cock blocked all that and threw Vanessa in my life. You're welcome. Vanessa, I'm a big believer in manifestation. Like, we, I do vision board workshops, I do my own methods of manifestation. Are you a witch? Like, how did you do this? <laughs> now, I'm not even kidding when you said that. So, usually, when people say, How did you guys meet? My, my like very straightforward answer is, I manifested him. I mean, I, I say that to everybody because that's exactly what it felt like. It was like, I had been through all of these relationships. 
I had recently within the past like six months before meeting him had my heart broken in like a very short but very intense relationship that I just, I mean, it was now looking back, it was just me in relationship with his projection 100%. But I had gotten out of a six year engagement and moved across the country by myself. I mean, I had just had a lot of, you know, tumultuous, I think, 20s and early 30s relationships, as a lot of us do. I was in grad school to become a therapist at the time. And I just remember being like, I am so ready to meet somebody who can speak that language, meet me on that level. Like, I don't want to mother the men I meet anymore. You know, I want them to meet me there. And I just kept talking about it. And my mom was like, you better be careful. You're like selecting your pool down very, very small. And I was like, I don't care if I am like, that's what I want. And lo and behold, (laughs) I think it's a bit of a a blend of intuition and manifestation. Because also you, you had said in the book when you were looking at his Instagram and you were talking to your friend and you were just like, I'm going to date that guy. And she's like, what? You're not going to date that. But he's like, he's got 80,000 followers. How do you, where did you get that from? And it's probably, I think, a blend of the preparation and the manifestation you were doing, meeting with the intuition of when you got that hit of, this is it. This is the guy. I've got to find a way to meet him. (laughs) Yeah, that was totally it. I mean, it was, I think that's appropriate to put it. It's like that 50, 50. And I just, I had this weird gut feeling. And so I just, I mean, I would like to say I made it happen, but it did feel a little bit out of my hands. Like it did feel like it was bigger than me. And by the way, let me clarify. Um, when she says that, um, I'm going to be with this guy, it's very different than I want to be with this guy. So, so she felt like a knowing like this was going to happen. It was bigger than her. It wasn't like she was flipping through my shit and she was like, Oh, I want this guy. He's so hot. Yeah. She didn't think I was attractive at all. (laughs) So, and then, and also with the following thing, it's kind of, it's kind of ridiculous how, um, what does following? This is what's happening. Don, this is what's happening. There's like the imagination of there are thousands of women in your inbox DMing you and everyone forming an opinion of who this sexy Korean man is who's so conscious and aware. Am I, am I right, Vanessa? You're shaking your head. <laughs> yes, totally, 100%. False, it's all false advertising. <laughs> he it's wouldn't know. False advertising. He doesn't check his DMs. He would have no idea how many girls can, are sliding in there left and right. Can I, can I just insert something really quick, just a footnote? Um, I have dated a couple of people that I've met online, and I get so insecure because when I show up, I don't feel like I'm going to hold up. And they're going to think, oh, you're not the guy that you portray to be. We're going to unpack that. I want to just also comment on what you said earlier, John. Your friend asked you, do you date white girls? And I know, Vanessa, from from your story in the book about this moment, you kind of had some feelings wrapped up in race. And as a biracial person who talks a lot about race and dating... You're on the perfect show to talk about what you two had to overcome or unpack to get to that point of being together. So I went into it very short, kind of intense relationship I had been in was with a Latino man. And I mean, I don't know, I guess I just I didn't think of course, I knew there was a difference in our cultures, but um, I fell so hard so fast And he seemed like he did too, that after like five months of being in this intense relationship, he kind of very, what felt like to me out of the blue said, I need to marry a Latina. And I remember just being floored and devastated, honestly. I think it's the only time in my life I've ever experienced like true depression was the breakup of that relationship. And so I was, I'm not going to lie. I was a little like, oh, when I'm, when I'm 
was interested in John because I, the reason why it's not actually his friend that, that did that. The reason why his friend did ask him that is because I said to him half jokingly, does he date white girls? Because I had just come out of that and I was kind of kidding. I'm like, because you know, some people don't, some people do kind of stay within their race or have like a very specific, and I just, I don't know. I was trying to protect myself from having a similar kind of cultural, what I felt like it was an explosion in my face that, yeah, I just didn't want to go through that again. He was just passing on information. Yeah, exactly. Poor guy. <laughs> it's just the messenger. John, you say in the book that you you come from a very traditional Korean family. Was race ever discussed? Was that something that yeah. your parents were, uh, that was Im- important as a family value? Yes, uh, it was very important, but then they gave up um, probably by the time I was in high school. They wanted me to marry, of course, a, a Korean woman and have, you know, um, Korean babies and all that. But my my first girlfriend that I brought around when I was like 21 was um, Caucasian. And then the person I married was Caucasian. And I, I think after about Let's three or four relationships, they were just like, all right we've accepted that you're probably not going to marry a Korean girl. And it's not that I, I, I have anything against, I just, they just, it's whoever you're around. So I grew up in a very kind of white world in the eighties. And so, you know, when we're going through our wonder years, we, we, we kind of, um, the posters on our wall is what we kind of trace, you know, who's around us. And so for some reason that just, I didn't have a lot of Asian friends growing up, you know, I wish I did. So would you say that cultural differences, has that, Ben, I know it's not discussed in the book, so, <laughs> but has that been now that you two have uh, have a kid together? Has that ever been a topic of conversation? Yeah, I mean, I think that you know what's funny to me actually is that in my experience, the biggest cultural difference him and I will sometimes have is actually in that I'm from New York and he's from LA. <laughs> that yeah. like I know it sounds a- silly, but it actually really is a big cultural yeah. difference. Um, There's a big like uh, Biggie Tupac thing happening. Uh, <laughs> I mean, I know for me, I I came into it very um, kind of open and curious and really excited to learn and understand and ask questions. And I, you know, his mom is very quiet. She's not a big talker. I am. And I, I feel like even now, four plus years in, I'm kind of constantly like asking her questions and, you know, digging in and everything. But I don't know that there's been major cultural differences other than like, maybe the way we share food, because in Korean culture, it's like they always they eat very fast and they eat everybody's food. And I'm like, and everyone's sweaty. Everyone's sweaty. (laughs) I want to turn it now to to our listeners who I'm sure they have been in a similar place that you two were when you came into the relationship. And man, the beginning of a relationship sure brings up all your stuff, right? You really figure out who you are and what your patterns are and which relationships have imprinted on you. And I'm not going to lie, John, you were a a real handful at the beginning Mm -hmm. of this relationship, according to what you two wrote in the book, because you had a pattern of getting close and then pulling away. And you even talk in the book about a trip that you invited Vanessa on four months into into dating. And even on the trip, you got close and you pulled away. Where did that come from? And how did you start to unravel that and change that pattern? I think it's different for everyone, but usually, generally, we don't change unless we have to, right? Usually it's... um many broken hearts, um, losing something, whether it's uh, your, 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 your love, 
custody, a job, like there are things that, that we lose where we wake up and we're like, okay, we have to now look at ourselves. And so I think for me, it was um, her having some honest conversations with me. She actually tried to leave once or twice. But I think the um, possibility that uh, because of my ambivalence or not looking at my patterns that the house of cards can collapse was a cold shower for me. Yeah. And then once she got pregnant the first time and we lost a baby, for some reason, there was a moment when we were in the hospital and we found out the baby uh, didn't make it. There was this weird, like, deep connection I felt because we were a family for a, for a minute, you know. And so there was the loss of a baby for some reason ignited um, something in me to really work on this or grow this or mm. And I'm sorry yeah. to hear that, but I'm glad that you have a beautiful daughter now who I <laughs> get to see every now and then on Instagram. It sounds like you're saying that there has to be a catalyst for change. And, you know, I read in the book about what happened when you got back from that ill-fated trip together. And Vanessa, you you created a boundary. Yeah. You, you, you intentionally took a pause and you said... I need to take a break and figure out what's going on here. And and it was from that point that you were able to restart the conversation and kind of encourage him to be in or be out. And I think that's a really courageous thing to do and something that I I wish people could lean into more. It's like that, that adage, like, if you love something, let it go and it'll come back to you. What was happening for you in that break moment that you took to re refocus? Yeah, you know, it's funny because sitting on the other side of the couch as the therapist, I get asked the question all the time, like, you know, do breaks ever work? Are breaks healthy? If we've taken a break, should we try again? Right? Like some variation of that. And um, I'm not for or against breaks. What I am for is standing in your truth and not chasing, uh, not begging, and not expecting somebody else to make you feel chosen. And so I think I had a real dose of reality. I don't know what it was where I just, I hit this point where I just felt like I have spent my lifetime hoping others would choose me. And in that moment, I had this really clear sense of like, I choose me and he's wonderful and he's great and all the things on paper, but like, I don't deserve to feel unchosen in my relationship. And I, I felt very much like the buck stops here. So I just I just kind of said it like that. I mean, it was my my New Yorker in me. I kind of gave him a whole like shit or get off the pot speech, you know, and um, told him, like, leave me alone. I don't want to talk to you. I don't want to see you. I need a week by myself. I just got really clear about that in that week alone. And when I called him at the end of the week to come and have a conversation, I didn't know what that conversation was going to be like, to be honest. But he did come over with flowers and tell me that he thought I was a breakup conversation. So um, I think it I think, it. you know, I didn't do it as a way to force him into choosing me because I think also I've seen that happen in relationships, too. Right. It really did come from a place of like just being very grounded in I choose me and I don't like the way this feels. So I'm just going to I'm going to put it out there and act on that. That's really important. And that's really the place that I try to encourage my listeners to date from. It's like you're going to be OK. You're yeah. already OK now. So this relationship will work or it won't work. But I find that we get really caught up on what we think it's supposed to look like. Mm -hmm. And one of the chapters in your book is happily ever after is bullshit, which <laughs> I agree. The, the little 
bright fairy inside me kind of <laughs> her, her wings like crumpled up and she was like, oh, but I think you, you're saying the same thing that I often say that, you know, these fairy tales and and stories and, and even the expectations of our families, all of these things that make us think we should be searching for a soulmate for the one, mm-hmm. they really are bullshit. Mm-hmm. <laughs> they really are bullshit. And they keep us stuck because we're constantly in pursuit of an idea. And like, you can't catch an idea. It's, it's actually the exact thing that kept me ambivalent, what you're talking about, that there's only one person um, for you on this planet. And putting all your chips on that. And then so you take a black light to the person and the relationship to see if they check all the boxes, right? And if they don't, then you're very confused and conflicted and that that whole cycle, you know? And that's, that's I was tumbling in that in the beginning. Mm-hmm. Um, it's not even about the one, you know? It's about the one in front of you. And to look at the differences, uh, uh, I, I call it swimming past the breakers, you know? Look at what's coming up. And instead of running and trying to find something that brings you comfort, which usually, you know, is going to stunt love, right? So you're not hitting the high notes. What can you do with this? Because on the other side of this, I knew there was going to be growth and evolution and ultimately a new definition of love, you know, a new love experience. Okay, so hit me with a definition now. What's the definition of love? Oh, man, that's a great question. I think one, that love is a choice. Right. Um, yes, love produces a feeling, but it is a daily choice. We, hey, we were listening to you and Dr. Drew. Yes, last night, going through your podcast. Oh and gosh. Dr. Drew, I remember uh, it, it's funny. He um, talked about how uh, long term relationships can be like recovery in mm. that it's just one day at a time. Right. And so kind of bring it, bring it back to the here and now. And then also, I think that love is about the journey of what comes up in processing that. And I think that's what creates uh, two people on a, a, path of, a path of growth. And then if you're doing it together, it produces glue. It produces a bond in the relationship. If you don't have that, and all love is, is you know dopamine and chemistry and sexy Netflix and you know, sexy time and all that, like soda, I think it, it'll fizzle. It'll be flat eventually. Vanessa, do you have a different definition of love? I don't know that it's different. I mean, I I agree with everything John said. I mean, the one thing I would add is I think my perspective on romantic relationships, actually, I would say on all chosen relationships, right? So both romantic and intimate. So romantic friend, right, would be what's changed for me is how I look at relationships now, the people that I allow into my inner sphere. You know, there is so much that happens unconsciously. and you know, Carl Jung would say that every one of us, from a soul perspective, our desire is to individuate, our desire is to grow, our desire is to expand and to elevate. And in that sense, all relationships are unconsciously mostly drawn into our sphere in order to help us with that, right? But how do they do that? They help us by challenging us, by putting up a mirror, by showing us our blind spots, by showing us our areas for growth. So the way I look at relationships now is like, it shouldn't just be easy peasy sex and butterflies and rainbows all the time. Like that's not the kind of relationship I want. It sounds great. First of all, it's not realistic, but also like, I want the challenge. I want the growth. I want the mirror that makes me uncomfortable and makes me have to say, all right, like this is my opportunity to heed the call and do a little self-exploration and growth, you know? Yeah. And you had the relationship, Vanessa, where you didn't fight. You had that before. And you've come to the conclusion 
that that lack of conflict didn't mean that the relationship was perfect. Right. So how can we reframe conflict for the Dates and Mates listeners? And then how can we use those moments of conflict to then move into what you were just talking about, yeah. like the mirror and the relationship and the growth and the individualization and the feeling of love and the and the security and all of that good stuff that everybody truly wants. Yeah. I mean, we have a chapter called How to Fight Without Fighting. And we talk a little bit about this, which is, and like, let me be clear, I am still not great at fighting. Like I, I still have a lot of, I have a really hard time with conflict. It shuts me down. I tend to dissociate. I get defensive like a lot of people do. And I, and I do struggle with it. I mean, I'm way better now than I used to be. It's baby steps. But I think a lot of it, first and foremost, we're, we're not taught how to fight. We're not taught how to have conflict in a healthy way, right? We have no clue going out into the world as adults how to have conflict with people that we love because most of our families didn't model that for us. There was either no fighting because we just didn't talk about it and we pushed it under the rug. There was a lot of yelling from like the people above to the people below, right? So you never got to kind of grow your voice. There's a million variations, but the bottom line is a lot of us didn't learn to sit across from each other respectfully and have compassion and validate the other person's feelings, depersonalize what they're talking about so that you're not in such defense mode that you can't see the person sitting across from you. You know, and it, it's not easy. I mean, I, I don't want to say that to be like womp womp to the people that are listening, but it takes work and a lot of work and a lot of commitment, uh, not for them, the other person, but for yourself to really say like, where can I get better? at not taking things personally, at not getting defensive, you know, because really bottom line, the way that relationships grow deeper is through that rupture repair, rupture repair, rupture repair that we talk about as therapists. Um, and if there's no rupture, it's actually really hard to create that repair. That's where the depth comes from. My, my reframe with conflict is uh, because we see conflict as uh, something's wrong, something's bad, something's broken. Yeah. For me, it's the opportunity to practice courage. Yeah. So every time there's conflict, there's an opportunity for you to be courageous. And by courageous, I don't mean kicking doors down. I mean, <laughs> you know, looking inward, doing things that are uncomfortable, being vulnerable, yeah. being curious instead of judgmental, stuff like that, you yeah. know. So conflict can be good. I mean, I think fights can lead to growth and a stronger bond um, as long as the fights are healthy and they're not coming from a, you know, people aren't throwing chairs at each other. And they still suck. I mean, let's be real. Like. I still hate fighting. It's not like I'm like, yay, I love fighting so much. I mean, I still would rather like rip my skin off and have an uncomfortable conversation even this far on my journey. But I, I know that on the other side, there's deepening and there's growth. If I can only hold myself accountable to the things that I, I want to show up and represent in my relationship, which is, you know, some of those things we talked about, like not being defensive and being compassionate and stuff like that. Demona, I love fighting because I just turn into content. If we don't fight, there's nothing to fight. <laughs> Everything is content. <laughs> it's, it, interestingly, yeah, I, I actually, my husband and I, we really don't fight. Yeah. But like this weekend we had, I, I couldn't even call it a fight, but we, we had a rupture mm -hmm. where there was something that, there was just like the way that he responded to something that I had a big reaction to. Mm. And through that whole, that reaction, it like uncovered a bunch of feelings that he had had that he hadn't voiced. Mm. And I had to take ownership of my stuff. And then it turned into like 
my entire Saturday <laughs> was then uh, a relationship exploration that I did not sign up for. I did not <laughs> intend to have. Um, but actually, my coach gave me some exercises to do that just helped us basically frame the conversation mm-hmm. in a constructive way. And it was so helpful just to have the framework of like this, like you were saying, John, it's like it's a chance to be courageous, like Mm -hmm. the framework to discuss the things that we didn't actually even know were problems until we got to that rupture point. And that's another thing that I love about your new book. You really give people the practice Mm -hmm. like here's the story. Here's how it shows up for us. And then like here's a tangible thing that you can actually do to get underneath that. Um, There was one thing that I, I felt a little bit triggered. In the book, I never learned how to apologize. Mm. I I used to say, I, I have two therapists here. They're going to get on me. <laughs> <laughs> Big reveal. I used to say, I don't apologize because I try not to do things that upset people in the first place. This is old me prior oh, to this relationship. Oh, so, Wait, wait, so you're saying that um, because your intention is in the right place, there's no need for the apology. That's something that I would say. It's very sneaky. That is something you would say. It's very sneaky. <laughs> but it's not helpful. It's not, it's not helpful in the repair that you were right. talking about, Vanessa. And I have had to learn how to apologize. And now also having kids, I've had to teach my kids how to apologize. And you you talk about this in in it's not me, it's you. You you get people to a place where I guess it's safe yeah. to apologize again. And not only safe, it's it's helpful. What are your thoughts on apologies? <laughs> <laughs> uh, for me, it's starting with two words. And uh, that is, it's you. No, that's, uh, I'm sorry. Many people talk around that, and, and then, but they don't actually say I'm sorry and really mean it. So I think it starts with that. And then I think there's a responsibility to an apology, meaning, okay, now what, what are you going to do about it? Like, what's the ownership, right? Action. So I think so. I think those two components um, are required in apologies. Yeah. I, I, I One of the other things I want to add, too, because I was just having this conversation this morning on my podcast, actually, with somebody, is this idea of, I think we, I don't know if it's a cultural thing or what, but I, I think we have this misconception that if we validate somebody's feelings, that we agree with them. Mm. And they don't have to go hand in hand. Like, like I can say, you know, John, I'm sorry that what I said hurt your feelings. But I don't agree with you. And in my mind, still know that I don't necessarily agree with where he went with it, but I can still look him in the face and validate like that hurt you. And that's what I should be apologizing for, right? Like I shouldn't, as somebody who loves him, want him to hurt. And I should be able to look at that hurt and say, ouch, like I'm saying I caused that, whether or not I think it was intentional or I agree with it or whatever, like that's all beside the point. And I think for a lot of us, it's like, it's such an ego-based thing. You know, we feel like by saying we're sorry, we're somehow losing a part of ourselves. We're somehow acknowledging something that we don't want to acknowledge or agree with. And that's not the case. They're separate, you know? Yes. I love the two of you. I love all the work that you're doing. I can't wait for people to get their hands on this book, which will be out in September. But in the meantime... People can join your book club. Tell me about what that is. Yeah, it's super exciting. So we are starting a book club. It actually starts June 6th. I know this episode might be out a little later, but it's going to be rolling. So every Monday at 1 p.m. PST, 
You can join us live. We're going to go through kind of each chapter, really get in there, dissect it, ask questions as a group, as a team. And, you know, all you have to do is just pre-order one copy. So if you go to, you know, either link, John or my uh, Instagrams, um, there's a link there. You just buy a copy, put your name on the list, and then you'll get the Zoom. And it's going to be great. That's the amazing John Kim and Vanessa Bennett. Thank you so much for joining me. Be sure to follow John on Instagram at The Angry Therapist and Vanessa on Instagram at Vanessa S. Bennett, two N's, two T's. Listen, you're going to want to pre-order a copy of It's Not Me, It's You, and that will get you into the book club if you send them a receipt for your purchase of the book. You'll get the ebook right away and a link to join the book club. And you can pre-order at booksoup.com. But the best way to get in the book club, just go to theangrytherapist.com or vanessabennett.com. Scroll down to where it says pre-order. It's not me. It's you. And that will take you to a form where you can submit your receipt and that will get you in their book club, which is happening now. Of course, the links will be in the Dates and Mates show notes. If you've ever wondered if you're being too judgmental with your dates, you're going to want to listen to our Dear Demona question. You know, I've always got you covered with your dating dilemmas, so let's get into the question of the week. Dear Demona. Demona, help me. We have a voice message from a listener we'll call R. Hi, Demona. I've been listening to you for quite a while. So long story short, I matched with someone on a dating app. And then I we had switched numbers. I ended up deleting the app and was kind of just going to put that approach to dating on hold. And he ended up reaching out to me. And so we were talking and then come to find out it was he didn't live in the city that I lived in. He lived much further away. And so we weren't able to go on an initial date as soon as I, you know, typically would have like within a week or so. So we ended up doing the whole um, talking on the phone texting. We never did a video chat or anything, but um, ended up kind of connecting. And then we went on our first date and he did, you know, shared that he smoked cigarettes, which is usually kind of one of my deal breakers. So basically how you discern between, are you being judgmental and a little bit closed-minded to maybe a potential partner that could be a good match because, you know, maybe, you know, they smoke cigarettes, for example, or is this a core value of someone that takes care of your body and is self-conscious and da 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 So that's my question. I love that you're taking notes on this podcast because you're, it's, it's like you're aware of the best practices, but for some reason you're not quite doing them. So <laughs> I'm not going to give you a hard time. I'm just going to acknowledge that you are you've done things a little bit backwards. So now we're working backwards here because you you met and then you moved offline so you didn't have all that information on the app because you you deleted your app. So you probably would have seen there that he smoked. So now we're kind of playing catch up there because you had to figure that out the long way and that's okay. And then you found out that he didn't live where you lived. Now that is making my antenna go up because I'm wondering, did he lie or did you just not know that he didn't live in your area? And then you chatted for a long time back and forth. So now you know what's happening. You're getting that emotional connection and investment in the relationship happening and you haven't even had the video chat. And now you have, you skip the video chat and you got to an in-person date, which is great. But you have this emotional investment in things working out when 
a lot of the screening steps got skipped and you're sitting across from this person that you feel something for and questioning your own instincts of whether you're being judgmental because this core criteria hasn't been met. So, you know, of course, you're going to meet people out in the real world and you're not going to know these core criteria things until you go through the screening. But since this is a person from you met on a dating app, some of these things were avoidable. But regardless, this is where we are. Here we are right now. I will say there are sometimes things that we put on our list as deal breakers because they're lifestyle things, like you said, smoking, maybe for you equates to that means you live a healthy lifestyle. So I, and you know, I always like to get, to get underneath what does that value? What does that belief actually mean for you under like, I would never date someone who I hate it when people do this. I I don't like cigarette smoking. I would never date someone. What is underneath that? And you've gotten to that. It means to you a healthy lifestyle. So we just have to figure out the intensity to which you hold that belief. Is it does it actually mean that he does not have a healthy lifestyle or does it just mean that maybe he has this addiction that he started when he was really young and it's really hard to break addictions, especially smoking. So you need to really figure out what does that actually mean? And also, what does it mean for you? Like, I don't like the taste of cigarette smoke, like kissing someone who smokes. It's been a really long time since I kissed someone who smokes, but I still remember that feeling, right? So is that something that you can get over? You have to ask yourself how much that person's life choices impact your life choices and what that means also for the long term. So I'm playing it really far forward, but this is the situation we're at because a lot of the screening steps got skipped. I'm not going to label you as judgmental. What that is all we are doing in dating is judging, ascertaining information, figuring out if someone is the right fit for us or not. So you're just in process and that dissonance is coming up because you're not sure if this thing that you believed to be true about who you are and what is important to you is actually factual when you have someone sitting in front of you who maybe has a lot of the other traits that you're looking for. So let's just rewind and look at the other information, which you have, I don't have, on how does this person treat you? How do they align with your goals and values? And also, like, was there any kind of deceit in the the location information? Was there any kind of fakery or lying that happened up until this point? And then how are you going to handle the long distance situation? These are questions I'm much more interested in than uh, whether or not smoking is a deal breaker. So there you get more questions. You ask a question, you get more questions, but I really appreciate you writing in with your question and I can't wait to hear what happens. Do send us an update and thank you. Thank you for leaving us a voice memo. I love hearing your voice and I love that you have been listening to Dates and Mates for quite a while. Please keep listening and please keep in touch. And I hope you all have enjoyed episode 415 of Dates and Mates. If you're new to the show, welcome. We have a lot of episodes for you. We are in season nine of Dates and Mates. The last hundred or so episodes are still available for you to listen. So let me know which ones are your faves. Leave us a review and tell me which guests you really loved. 
We'll bring them back. We'll do more topics that you want to hear. I'm making this show for you. So help me help you make this show exactly what you need to navigate love in the modern world. If you have a question like our, send it to me. You can DM me your question at Demona Hoffman. Leave me a little voice memo there. Or you can type it in the DM or you can text it to me at 424-246-6255 or give me a call 24-7 on that number and leave it on the voicemail. We'll be back again next Tuesday with Dr. Jenna. She is a consultant on the Discovery Plus show, Love in the Jungle. And she's going to talk to us about what animals can teach us about relationships. Until then, I wish you happy dating.